Well, good morning. Good morning. I figure some people will be showing up in about 14 minutes. Happens every every year, this one. Amen. Does anyone have a testo, a short testimony they want to share? We don't do this very often, but this feel might be a good morning to yeah, see if anyone's got a testimony of God's goodness, something going on in your life. Dorothy. Amen. 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 Thank you. Elise, was that you who had raised your hand also? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else has one quick testimony? Okay. You know, it's, it's important to, to hear what God is doing in the lives of other people. It encourages us to keep pressing on. And so, amen. Okay. Hallelujah. That shout of hallelujah. You know, in, in the church we have, we have words we say, and that's, uh, that's one of them. Hallelujah. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a praise to Yah, to God. And so we want to... We want to raise that in our life. We want it to be everything in us that we give praise to God. Even as, um, as Job knew, he's like, should I, should I not praise him in the bad as well as the good? We need to praise him at all times and in, in all things. So we want to raise that hallelujah in our own life. And it's a wonderful way, not just when you're feeling good, not just when you think all is, is going well, but, but even when uh, adversity is coming, that you, you just shout and sing hallelujah. You give praise to God for he is worthy all the time, even when we don't feel it. Amen. Amen. We believe. Do you believe? Amen. We are, we, I believe the Bible. Do you, do you believe the Bible? You know, we preach out of the Bible here at, at Christian Center, and uh, we believe it from cover to cover. Um, we've been talking for the last number of weeks about the different faith journeys. Um, and so and we've been spending some time in Genesis. So actually today I'm going to uh, spend a little bit of time actually just teaching um, about Genesis. And so it's going to be a little, little bit different. But I want to talk about the book a little bit, where it came from, some of its themes and things like that. So, so I even have one or two little slides I'll show in a little bit. I didn't get a lot of time to work on them, but to give a little overview of some things. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in each of our lives. God, we thank you for what you want to do in each of our lives. I pray that you would uh, cause us, help us to yield to you, to uh, have your will accomplished in us and through us, Lord Jesus. God, as we spend this time here in the Word, we just pray that you would uh, give us a deeper understanding of your Word, give us faith to stand and believe your word. God, help it to just uh, penetrate us, even in, the, in, in a teaching of, of uh, the very first book that you gave us, Lord. I just pray it would just uh, impact us um, each in a different way today, Father. Um, we just thank you and thank you for your presence and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this book that we have, the 66 books written by... 39 different authors over the course of a few thousand years, written from three different continents, uh, made up of, of what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, 
the first five books of this book were, are called the, the Pentateuch. Um, and that was the, it's the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's, they also call it the Torah, um, which is the books of law. And so this morning, we've been, we've been talking about um, the fathers of faith. We talked about Adam and Eve, talked about Cain and Abel, we talked about Noah, and we're getting on to some other people. So this morning, I just want to kind of give a little overview of the book of Genesis. And if, if we get through it quick enough, we'll, we'll begin. I want to spend some time over the next few weeks talking about Abraham and some of the lessons we learn from Abraham. But before we did that, I thought, let's talk about this whole book called Genesis, um, in the, um, which Genesis um, means creation. It's what we call the book of Genesis in the, the Hebrew Bible. It's actually called um, In the Beginning. That's just, it's very simple. And why is it called In the Beginning? Because Genesis 1-1, which is one of the most quoted and known uh, beginnings of any book in the world, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, people know that even that aren't Christians. Even if they don't believe it, they've heard it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bereshith in, in the Hebrew. Um, and so that is a statement of profound, uh, it's just a profound statement. Think about how a lot of uh, fairy tale books start. They say, once upon a time. And they end with, and they all lived happily ever after. But, but this is not the once upon a time type of beginning. This is such a radical statement of what happened in the beginning. In the beginning, God. And, and I like to just start with that. Yes, God created, but in the beginning, God. There was nothing before him. He is all in all, and he was in the beginning. And that's where the book of Genesis goes. The book of Genesis is, a fun, is, is an interesting book. It's um, one of the longer books of the Bible. It's, I believe it's the third longest book that we have in the Bible. It's got 50 chapters. But one of the things it definitely does is it spans the most amount of time of any other book in the Bible. More than 2,000 years in one book. Almost 2,400 years. Um, and so, so some people think that Genesis is the story of the history of the world. And, you know, some people, I've, I've heard that, oh, Genesis is kind of the story of the history of the world. In the beginning, God created and talks about man and talks about all these things. It is so much not the history of the world because it flies by way too fast to be talking about the entire history of the world. Um, I really, the, the book is made up into two parts. The first 11 chapters and then the second 39 chapters. The first 11 chapters talk about God and his relationship to humanity. It talks about um, a number of things in that first section, but the first 11 chapters is helping us to understand God and his relationship to all humanity. Um, in the second section, it's, we get really focused, starting in chapter 12. It really focuses down, and it's no longer talking about God and all of humanity. It's talking about God and his relationship to the soon-to-be people of Israel. Okay, the, the people of Israel. And it's really the, the patriarchs that start off the book of Genesis. In the first uh, 11 chapters, there's kind of four subsections in there. Um, of those first, and, and if you, w this is really a bad graphic, but you can go ahead and put up the, that, uh, probably the second slide, 
that one. Um, this is just really, really, really basic. But those are the two sections of Genesis. Um, the, first, the first subsection of, of the book of Genesis is talking about creation, how, how there was absolute chaos. Everything was chaotic, and God came, and he brought order to it, and he established a relationship. He created human beings, and he began to have a relationship with man. And I believe that the first part of Genesis, um, when he's, after he's created humans, he, he created everything, and everything he created was good. Remember that? He created, and it was good. And that was the, the, the second day, and it was good, and it was the third day, and everything he created was good. And he finally creates man. The one thing that wasn't good was that man was alone. So he creates woman, man and woman to be together. And then we see that in those first three chapters of, of Genesis, talking about God's creation, God bringing things out of chaos and into order, that he now is having a relationship with mankind in the garden. That's a picture, I believe, of heaven, of how it's going to be for us when we're back without sin. See, see we're, we're, part of the book of Genesis is we're going to discover human nature. But when we get to heaven, it's going to be the same as it was in the beginning before sin. We're going to be fully known by God. We're going to walk with him in perfectness. And we're going to have relationship with him. And so there's really, in a sense, the Garden of Eden is kind of a temple, if you will. It's, it's a temple where God and man meet. We, we, we still have that in our understanding that, that there's something about going to the temple, if you will, that that's the place that we meet with God. The Jews, they, they had the temple, and it represented the presence of God. Even today, still people call the church the house of God. Now, I, God doesn't dwell in a house built by human beings, but there's some understanding that we come together to a, to a place and we encounter the presence of God. And the beginning uh, in the Garden of Eden, in this creation period, I believe it was a picture of dwelling together with God, um, where, where we could just be with Him. And then, unfortunately, one of the things that happened is, is human nature comes in, the enemy comes in, and sin begins to destroy it. And so we come from chaos, God restores it to order, but immediately we find that human nature brings us out of the presence of God, and we find the world under a curse. Okay, the, the, the curse that man was, was evil, evil was rampant, and there was no holy, no one righteous in all the land. And of course, the story of Noah comes, the account of Noah comes, where God's grace says, I want to save my people. It's not just judgment, but it's his love and mercy and grace that wants to save you and I, it wants to save the human race. And so the flood comes to purify and cleanse because a curse has come on the land. So we have creation, we have curse, and then salvation through the, the, um, Noah and the eight people on the ark. God is showing us that he loves us, that he can bring purity and cleansing, and that he wants to save us. And then the fourth section is, is chapter 11 itself, if you remember the account of uh, where the people once again begin to 
become wicked and they begin to rely on themselves, which is what we do as a, as a people group. We rely on ourselves all the time. And so the, the Count of Tower, Babel chapter 11, is the people relying on themselves, building a great city and building a tower to reach God. And this is where we find that God uh, disperses the nations. He, he creates new languages. He confuses them. And this is the beginning of the nations being spread all over the earth. And that's just a really, really quick synopsis of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we have his creation, chaos coming into order, God relating with humans together. We see the curse, the promise of God to to save us and so we have salvation and then we see the the beginning of the nations now in between the uh, the the first section of Genesis the first 11 chapters and the second 39 chapters there's this thing that happens and that's um, God's promise to Abraham now Abraham is one of the people we're gonna be focusing on this morning and over the next few weeks <sighs> so much in the second section of the book of Genesis, chapter 12, we see God beginning to relate just with a few people. In fact, it's, it's really quite interesting. Um, Genesis takes 11 chapters to give a history of 19 generations. 11 chapters, 19 generations, and it covers about 2,000 years in those 11 chapters. That is a huge amount of time in a relatively short amount of space. Over the next 39 chapters, Genesis, which I, I forgot to say, the writer of Genesis is Moses, is Moses. Over the next 39 chapters, Moses, through oral tradition and hearing the stories, and I believe in some written accounts, puts it together and spends 39 chapters to talk about four generations. 19 in 11, 19 generations in 11 chapters, four generations in the next 39, gener in the next 39 chapters, 370 years from Genesis 12 to the very end. This book is about us focusing in on the, uh, the beginning of the, the nation of Israel and how God is going to relate now with humanity and through, through his people, his chosen people. Um, it's primarily is, is to, to the Jewish nation, though there is hope for others even outside of that in the book of Genesis. But we're going to focus primarily on the nation of Israel. So it takes four chapters and talks about the, the main characters in, in Genesis uh, 12 on is Abraham, his wife Sarah. And at the beginning, they're actually called Abram and Sarai. And they, they have a name change when, when they receive the promise of God. They go for Abraham and Sarah. Then we're going to talk about Isaac. We're talking about Jacob, who becomes actually his name changes to Israel. And so for you, some of you that might go, wow, I didn't know that Israel was a person. Israel is a person. Jacob, the son of Isaac, his name changes to Israel. And then the last part, part we're talking about the 12 patriarchs, two of which are the, are the key players in this. And like I said, this is just going to fly by synopsis, but the two key players of the, of the 12 patriarchs is going to be Joseph in the book of Genesis and Judah. 
And Judah's really important because through Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, comes the lineage of Christ. And he has a blessing at the end of Genesis that's, that's extremely important about how, again, the nations will be blessed. And it will be through the, the line of Judah, which comes to Jesus, which is Jesus. So that's kind of the whole synopsis of the thing. I want to share just some fun stuff in here as well. Um, this is something that uh, I discovered many, many years ago when I was reading the Bible on my own. I think I was 18 years old, and I was reading through Genesis. And I don't know about you, but you see those ages of how long each person lived. You're like, wow, that's a really, really long time. And I, you start reading, and you start going through all these generations, and you come up to Noah. And what happened to me is I was reading that, uh, you know, that the Adam lived what, 800 and something years, and then um, or 930, and then Seth lived to a thousand years, and you, or I'm sorry, he died, and he didn't live a thousand years. He, he you know, died around a thousand. They, they had all these lifespans, and I started thinking to myself, wait a second, with all those amount of years, it sounds like they would have been alive after the flood. So I started calculating it out. And I, really simple. I actually just wrote down how old they were, how old they were when the next kid was born, how old they lived, and I started calculating all that out. And I came up with what I thought was this amazing conclusion. I was so excited. I, I thought that nobody in the world had ever figured this out. Because when you're 18, you know everything. And I called Pastor Mike Erickson, who's the Bible answer man for, for us here, and here in Big Bear, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I, I explained, I said, I just discovered something really exciting. Who was the oldest person in the Bible? Does anyone know? Methuselah. That's why, you know, there's that saying, you know, as old as Methuselah. Methuselah was the longest, the oldest person who ever lived in the Bible. And when I calculated it out, year by year, I discovered that Methuselah died the year the flood, the flood happened. Wow, whoa, that's really cool. So I thought, did he die in the flood? You know, is that the end of Methuselah? And uh, so Mike, Mike explained that most Bible scholars believe, and, this, and, and since then I went, that I believe too. The flood came because there was no, no other righteous. And I believe that Methuselah was still a righteous man. And when he died, that was the end, other than Noah, of the righteous people living. And it released the curse and the cleansing of the flood. So anyway, so, so something interesting is you already got it up. So... All right, so I hope you haven't been staring at that too long. But this is the overlap diagram of the book of Genesis. And it's kind of fun because you see, starting at the beginning, when Adam was born, he lived to the year 930. Seth was born when Adam was 130. Enosh, and you comes down, and you can see that, that you know, they're, they're coming down at an angle, and their deaths are kind of coming at an angle other than Enoch because God took him away. But what you start realizing is that because they lived so long that many generations after them knew their great-great-great-great-great-grandparents personally, likely. We don't know that for sure. But if you look, the Adam was alive until the year 930. And if you go straight down, that means that he may have met and known Lamech, who was the father of Noah. Now that got kind of exciting for me because we always think, wow, how did all the oral tradition get passed down and couldn't it have changed and all that? But see, Noah 
didn't just tell, tell Seth, who told Enosh, who told Canaan the story. Adam was able to tell the story to Seth and to Enosh and to Canaan and to Mahalalel and to Jared and to Enoch and to Methuselah and to Lamech himself. Lamech got to talk to the created Adam who lived in the Garden of Eden with God. Now that, I, I mean, I, I, that's exciting to me. I'm like, my goodness. And Lamech is the father of Noah. So Lamech told Noah, yeah, I knew, I knew Adam. Your great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, I knew him and, and he told me of walking with God in the Garden of Eden. These generations touch each other. And, and then, then you see that uh, Noah was, was an old guy when he had Shem, the son of Shem. Look at how, how old he was. So Shem was alive, of course. He, was part, he survived the flood. But now you look at the birth of Shem, and, and of course he knew Methuselah and Lamech. Wait a second. So Shem actually heard the story of Adam from the person who heard it from Noah himself. Adam himself. Isn't that crazy? So Shem plays this part as he then is alive. Look at how long Shem is alive to 2158. Okay, he, he lived. He was the longest lasting of, of the original patriarchs. And if you come down to his death, he would have known our facts at Salah, Eber, Pelek, Ruz, Saruk, Nahor, Terah and Abraham, and even Isaac. Shem, who knew Lamech, who knew Adam, comes all the way down to knowing Isaac. And you start seeing how the generations and the information was not 19 generations away, but passed on one to another, seeing the righteous men of God, knowing them personally, and that just got really exciting to me. And obviously, as the time goes on, and, and when they believe this is, this is just a theory, um, they believe that when, when the flood happened, um, because of the canopy of water, that the earth prior to the flood was a totally different ecosystem than we lived in, and that when that flood opened up, and the, and, and the, the expanse of the, the, they call it the windows of heaven, um, they released all the water that was in this other atmosphere that it began to change humanity even and the way we lived and that's why we lived long before and we started living normal lives after. So we have this, this amazing timeline of, of all of these people. Look at how long Noah lived to... to, to um, now when you see 2006, that would have been... That's the Jewish calendar. That's starting from the beginning of time. So Noah lived to 2006 and you come down and see that Terah the the father of Abraham could have known Noah and that Abraham was born just two years after the death of of uh, Noah like, well, I don't know I just I, this is because this isn't just some story this is the history of Israel the history of the human race so um, I think these things are, are important to understand and even just get a grasp to, to kind of see those those dates and understand that Abraham was much more closely connected to the to the original people 
uh, to Adam and, and Noah and all of the all the people in between than than feeling that 17 generations because you know I, I've been doing uh, for the last couple of years I, I stopped you know maybe a year ago I haven't done but I started doing that uh, ancestry.com and that's kind of fun you know tracing all my all things back and, and on one of my sides I traced our family all the way back um, before the, the 1776, I traced our family roots all the way back to the 1500s, which was pretty cool. That's five, 500 years. That's it. Abraham, Terah, the, these people were, were, were going back far more than that and actually knowing them. I don't, I don't feel connected at all to those people that I'm finding on paper. And I mean, I mean, not at all. And, and you know, because at times I'm like, well, I hope this is my line. It could be, I could have made a mistake and it could be some other person's line. But they were connected in all of that. And so when they are, are going forward, they're coming from that place of knowing that God created Adam from the dust of the earth. And Adam walked with God. This is, this is the book of, of Genesis. Um, Kind of did that off of my, uh, without my notes. So let me find out where I was at, what I wanted to talk about. So I think I got it all. Yeah. Shem lived to see his great, 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 great grandson Isaac. Eight greats, ten generations. Don't you wish they had a family photo for that one? I mean, you know, 10-generation family photo. I've seen five. I've seen five generations in the same photo. That's pretty impressive. But 10, that would have been pretty darn cool, especially if all the cousins were in it. Now, that would be huge. You think about it. Adam told Lamech, who told Shem, who told Isaac, way down the line, exactly what had happened. Hmm. Okay. Enough of that. So let's go back to the, to the book of Genesis. So it's, again, we're talking, you know, nearly 2,400 years, 20-some generations, focusing in on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs, Joseph being the one that we really see stand out um, because Joseph is the one who uh, gets sold into slavery and really delivers his people. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12. It's more of a teaching than a preaching this morning, so I hope you bear with it. In Genesis chapter 12... Genesis 11 is, the, is where we meet Abram. Genesis 12 is, is the promise to Abram that we, uh, you're probably all familiar with, and if not, this is, it's just kind of, it's kind of like a Sunday school today this morning. So they were in Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were going to go to the land of Canaan. Canaan was going to become the land of Israel. In verse uh, 1 in chapter 12 is, is this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you 
and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. He's going to take him to the land he was going to show him, but this is a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless him, that he was going to make his name great, and he was going to give him descendants. He was going to give him land and blessing. And that's the the first covenant that we find in the book of Genesis that God, God is making with his people. And his people, the blessing wasn't just for Abraham, it was for his descendants as well. He re reaffirms this same um, pact with Isaac, the son of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 26, if you're taking notes. Genesis chapter 26, 1 through 35 God reaffirms the same covenant he has. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You will be a blessing to other people because I'm going to bless you. And there's a principle in this, and this is one of the things we're going to cover as we talk about Abraham over the next few weeks. But I want to hit on this one real quick. When God blesses someone like, like Abraham or like me or like you, he blesses us so that we then will be a blessing to other people. He does not bless us so that we can just do whatever we want to do. He blesses us so that we can be a, a, a channel of blessing to other people, whether it's financially or with, with wisdom or with skills. When God has given you something, some blessing, it's your responsibility to take that and to, and, to, and to pray and say, God, how can I bless other peoples with this? And then be faithful in your gift, with your finances, with your, with your wisdom and counsel, and do it in a godly fashion. Um, I believe God gifts people uh, in, in a lot of amazing abilities. I believe God gifts certain people with, with uh, talents, musical abilities, um, abilities to make things and craft things. I believe that God gives supernatural wisdom to people. And I've seen people, I believe, that were gifted by God never use those gifts for God. And they use them only for themselves. But the Bible says that God's gifts and God's callings are without repentance. That means he doesn't take them back. He gifts people with them. And so he gifted Abraham. Abraham became just exceedingly wealthy. Isaac was, was wealthy. They had cattle. They had people. They had, in fact, Abraham has so many people in his household that uh, you, you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. Lot gets captured at, in, in Genesis. Lot gets captured, and Abraham has 300 trained men, warriors, that are in his household. Not 300 people total. He has, 300, he has an army of 300 people that is in his, plus the farmers, plus the goaters, plus everyone else 
300 of which were trained for battle. And Abraham leads the attack and goes and rescues Lot back. That's pretty crazy. I will bless you and you will be a blessing in chapter 12. We're going to be getting into a lot of the individual stories of Abram, uh, who, who turns to Abraham over the next couple of weeks. Abraham, who's the father of faith, um, James calls him a friend of God, that he was God's friend. And, and that's, that's awesome. Who wants to be God's friend? Right? I want, to be, I want to be God's friend. I think we might say, yeah, well, God's my friend. I, I mean, I, I count him as a friend. I don't know if you've ever had anyone in your life that, that you, and you know, I, I would count them as a friend, but, but, but when you thought about it, like, you know, but they don't count me as a friend. There's a difference. There's a difference. Um, you know, Rick Warren, uh, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a pretty, you know, popular guy. He's, he knows a lot of people. Um, he told everyone that I could tell, tell everyone that, that he and I are friends, which is really kind of fun. And, and he told Shannon the same thing. Um, he says, you know, when you go, you just tell them that, that you're my friend. Well, the other part is that there was a thousand of us that he told that to in the moment. And so it's not real, real special. But Abraham was God's friend. Abraham, we learn, we, know the, we, we probably know the story of Abraham who God calls to sacrifice his son, Isaac, his one and only son. We know that he's, he's faithful to God and he, and he carries it out. And we're going to get into that in the future weeks. We, we see Abraham who, who's the father of faith and the friend of God. But we're also going to learn about the Abraham who's kind of a weasel. You know, Abraham set up a pattern of living uh, for his descendants that his son Isaac also followed later on. One of the times uh, Abraham was going into this country and he told his wife, and, and I think Sarah was hot. I mean, you read, when you read it, if you read through the book of, of Genesis, Sarah was hot because Abraham looked at Sarah and said, listen, we're going to go into Egypt and they're going to see you and they're going to like you, and they're going to want to take you, and they're going to want to kill me. So do me a favor and tell everyone that you're my sister. You're my sister. So that they treat me well. I don't, and here's the rest of that statement. I don't really care what happens to you. Because she gets taken. She gets taken by the leaders. In fact, she was so good looking, that's why I say she was hot, that the people of Egypt went and found Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, there is a new chick in town. And she's hot. Okay? So Abram, you know, come on, you know, wives, how, how about that? Would you like your husband to sell you out like that? Say, you know, we're going to go in there and they're going to think you're really good looking and they're going to take you and they're going to do things with you that you don't want done, but just tell them you're my sister so they treat me well. Isaac ends up doing the same thing to his wife. So we find, we're going to find out a little bit about generational curses, things that happen that, that when you set up patterns in your household, you might find your children living out as well. And so we, we find, um, and, and there's a lot of time given to the life of, of Abraham, how he, he misses 
he, he, he doesn't have enough faith to wait on God and he ends up having a child with his handmaiden who, become, who becomes Ishmael and who becomes the father of the Arab nation. That was a mistake. In chapter, I believe it's in chapter 17, there's a, a time, we're going to wrap it up here in just a minute. And I believe it's chapter 17, God is going to now confirm the covenant that he's made with him. And he, and he tells Abram to, to Abraham to get um, some animals and some birds, and they're going to do this sacrifice thing. And they used to do this around this time, we'll get more into detail, where they would chop an animal in half, and they'd put part, half of the animal on one side of a path, half of the other animal on the other side of a path. They'd line out this little area when you were going to make a covenant with somebody. And a covenant is an agreement with someone. It's, it's, it's like a contract, but, but we use it. It's, it's much more strong than that. And they would make this covenant in blood that says whatever the agreement was, whatever the covenant was going to be, they would walk between the dead animals as a sign that says we are, we are both committing ourselves to this agreement and that if anything, if we break it, you know, this is what's going to happen to us. This is basically is the strength of the covenant. And so God says, we're going to do this covenant. And we learned that from, from extra biblical things of history, why, why they did that. Um, so, but, but the talks about how cutting the animals, putting them down there. And then it says that God put Abram into a deep sleep and that the presence of God goes alone as, as, a, as a torch and a smoking uh, pot, a, a pot and a torch, and goes between this covenant of animals. And one of the things we learn in this is that when God makes a covenant with us, it's not dependent on us. It's all dependent on Him. He does it. He does the work, and we receive it by faith and by grace. Genesis is a wonderful, wonderful book as we go through it. And we, we talk on Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah is, is in here. And um, find out that uh, uh, Lot's wife wanted to be a pillar in her community. Uh, in case you missed that one, she ends up turning into a pillar of salt because she wants to go back. Um, we, we, we find just a, a, a brief thing about Isaac. We're going to be covering him when we talk about people's different journeys. So this is, this is kind of the overview of the book of Genesis. Now at the very end, the last number of chapters of Genesis is we find the people of Israel. Again, remember, Jacob's name changes to Israel. The people of Israel are in the land of Egypt. This is the beginning of they're there and they're blessed. They have land. They have, they've been saved from the famine. Um, Joseph is second in command of, of, of Egypt. Um, he is reunited with his, with his brothers, which was, was uh, quite amazing because uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. And it was Judah's idea to do that, which then we find that part of the blessing of Christ comes through the line of, of Judah. And at the very end, Jacob blesses his children, and he blesses Joseph's children, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we've heard that. We've heard of that. The 12 tribes of Israel. From there, they spend 400 years in bondage in, in, in Egypt before Moses comes and rescues them out.
bear with me for just one moment. He blesses his children, Jacob does. And I believe it's 8, 49 verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. A blessing to Judah that the Christ, Jesus Christ, would fulfill as he comes. Just quickly, as we see, there's some typologies in the book of Genesis that we see with Abraham being wandering around, waiting to go, going to his promised land. We see the Israelites some years later wandering, waiting to go into the promised land. Abraham finally arrives in the promised land as, as so do the people. Isaac's two children, Jacob and Esau, is full of deception and strife. Same thing happens both to Israel. So that is a quick synopsis of the book of Genesis. So when we begin to get to go into a little more in-depth and learn some of the character studies of the journeys of Abraham, we're going to spend a number of weeks with Abraham because we learn so much about him. We can learn so many of the things for us, how we conduct ourselves, things to do and not to do. Men, it's not a good idea to let your wife be taken into slavery. It's not a good idea. It doesn't work out real well. But we're going we're gonna to learn some character studies and see how, what God can teach us through our, the patriarchs as we walk on the journey of faith together. Thanks for uh, having a little Sunday school lesson with me this morning. Let's pray as we close. God, I thank you that you preserved your word. God, that the, as Hebrews says, that the Bible, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we, we pray that as we study the Bible, as we're talking about uh, the characters and their journeys of faith, that you would challenge each of us. But I also pray that you would give us a love for the word of God. Give us a passion to know it. Uh, this, this Bible has been preserved for thousands of years because you wanted us to have it. So God, help us to cherish it. Give us wisdom and understanding when we read it. We thank you, God, that your word endures forever and that in this word we find blessings for life. God, we desire to live for you, to have life. We thank you for what you present to us in the word and ask that it would change us, God. God, let us be as the psalmist. Let, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. God, I pray that you would bless each and every one this morning and this week that as they, again, are, as we're all on our journey, God, as we're all drawing closer to you, that you would uh, cause us to be a blessing to others, cause us to draw closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.